sense that Paul has here to speak to a king. Uh, it's not every day we get to have a chat with a king about Jesus, is it? I uh, don't know the last time you spoke to one, but the last time I did, actually, no, I never have. So um, uh, it just doesn't happen, does it? Um, but there are times when church leaders do get to uh, speak with world leaders. And, of course, it is great opportunity. And, and we really should be praying for them that they will take as much of the opportunity that they have with as much courage as Paul does here. But even though we don't get to speak to world leaders, we still get incredible and rare opportunities, don't we, to tell other people about Jesus. What an incredible thing. Uh, they might not be as high and as mighty as kings and rulers, but they are just as precious to God, the people we have to speak to. And we should also take those opportunities with courage. But what do we say? You know, it's sometimes hard to know, isn't it, how to approach these things. As Paul, um, as we look at Paul's speech to King Agrippa today, uh, let's pray that God will give us some insights and help us to understand more about how to take up those incredible opportunities that he gives us. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great mercy to us in bringing us to know Jesus and we thank you that you speak through us to the people around about us. Uh, Father, we pray that this morning we may be better equipped for that task. Uh, we pray that you might help us to understand more of what it is that we are to say and how to approach people so that we may indeed give great honour and glory to you and proclaim the name of Jesus. And we ask it for his sake. Amen. Well, if you um, found some of that reading uh, a bit familiar, uh, well, that's good. That's probably because you've been following along our series in Acts uh, as we've been moving through um, this account of the, uh, the period of the early church. Because this is the third time that Luke has recorded Paul's conversion for us. So I suppose you get the idea that this is probably rather important. Uh, so the first time he records it for us is in chapter 9. Uh, at the time that it actually happened, as, go, as he goes through um, a sort of chronological history of what's happening. Uh, then, just a couple of weeks ago, Paul used his uh, testimony, his account of uh, his conversion, uh, when he was speaking to the crowd in Jerusalem. Uh, and then, here again, we have it as Paul speaks before King Agrippa. Uh, Paul probably actually used his testimony quite a lot in his preaching, uh, it, it, certainly in the letter to, he writes to the Galatians, uh, Paul refers to his conversion and he just expects that they know the details uh, because he's already told them. And here in Acts, Paul twice uh, now uses it to speak about, speaks about his conversion, but he does it in slightly different ways as he does this. Uh, not because he's changing the story or can't remember. I mean, he was there at the time, so uh, he, it's fairly fresh in his memory. Um, but it's because Paul adjusts his testimony to suit the particular audience that he's speaking to. So it'll be really helpful for us to, to see how Paul customises his message to different audiences. What does Paul say and, and why? Back in, uh, chapter back in chapter 21, um, just to sort of give us a bit of context, Paul had been rescued from the rioting Jews by the Roman commander. 
appeared in the temple. Uh, some of the uh, Jews from Asia took offence to him being there and a riot broke out. The Roman commander comes and rescues him. Uh, since that time, he has spoken to the crowd that gathered at that point in chapter 22. Uh, he has defended himself before the Sanhedrin in chapter 23. He was then transferred to Caesarea for safekeeping and then put on trial by the Roman governor Felix in chapter 24. Felix couldn't find anything wrong with Paul, uh, but to keep the Jews happy, he kept Paul in prison, or in custody at least, for another couple of years until he was no longer around and the next governor had to deal with it. And so now Governor Festus has arrived and he, of course, has another trial of Paul in chapter 25 and when he can't understand what all the fuss is about, the Jews suggest that they should take it all back to Jerusalem. Paul, however, knows that this is just part of the bigger plot to kill him and so although Paul is very willing to face death for Jesus, he's not willing to just walk into a trap and give his life up for nothing and so he appeals to Caesar, which is his right as a Roman citizen. And so now Felix uh, has to, uh, sorry, now Festus has to send Paul to Rome with some explanation of the charges against Paul. But we see in chapter 25, verse 19, in our first reading, that Festus has only been able to pick up so far that the Jews have some points of dispute with Paul about their own religion and about some dead dude named Jesus who Paul claimed was alive. So he's not really picking up on, you know, what's he going to write to Caesar about, about Paul? Well, fortunately for Festus, King Agrippa comes to welcome him in his new role and offers to hear Paul and to help Festus write his report. Because, of course, Agrippa has been in the area for quite some time. He's ruled over Judea, and so he's much more familiar with Jewish matters. And so here in chapter 26, Paul's main task is actually to defend himself against the charges the Jews have brought against him. And his approach is to say that he is simply being an obedient Jew and obeying the vision that he had of Jesus. There is no cause for the Jews to be opposed to him. Paul says in verse 3 that he knows that although Agrippa isn't a Jew, that he is well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. And so Paul is able to make use of that background in his speech. And so it's quite a different context, this, this, uh, this account of uh, Paul's conversion, to what he gave in chapter 22, where he's in front of a great crowd. And there he was taking up the opportunity to speak to a large Jewish audience and was using his testimony to try and convince them that devout Jews should recognise that Jesus is the risen Lord. Here, though, he's using his, his um, testimony to show that he has only been an obedient Jew doing what he ought to do. Well, on both occasions, Paul begins by laying out his Jewish credentials. In front of the crowd, he spoke about his teacher, Gamaliel, because they would have known Gamaliel and known what that meant. 
But here before Agrippa, Paul can't use that, uh, that same sense of uh, understanding already. So here in verses 4 to 5, Paul emphasises his obedience as a member of the strictest Jewish sect, the Pharisees. Agrippa did know about them. Paul then expands on that in verses 6 and 7, here in a way that he doesn't do back in chapter 22, that he has the same hope as all the Jews do. If this is what he's being accused of, of of believing the things that they believe, then there really is some hypocrisy going on here. It just doesn't make sense. And so he sums up the real point of issue in verse 8. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? Well, of course, there's many people who would consider this incredible, both then and now. But Paul knows that Agrippa is at least familiar with the idea of the resurrection from his understanding of Jewish things, if, in fact, Agrippa doesn't actually believe that there will be a resurrection. And so at this stage in Paul's argument, he's just raising this general concept of a resurrection. He hasn't got to the specific resurrection of Jesus. He's just laying the groundwork of a common foundation for what he's going to go on and say. His main point, though, here is that what he believes is what the Jews believe. Paul returns to the uh, same line of uh, his testimony as in chapter 22, uh, here in verse 9. As he recalls his commitment, and here he even calls it an obsession, in originally persecuting Christians. And again, Paul emphasises his obedience to Agrippa. See, he was acting on the authority of the chief priests. But all that changes for Paul when he met a higher authority than the chief priests, when he meets Jesus himself. And so like in the other accounts of Paul's conversion, Paul recalls how he was blinded by a blazing light from heaven and he hears a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? This time though, Paul includes Jesus' words to him It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, you all know what a goad is, so I won't worry explaining uh, that term. Um, No? Okay. Um, Goads were pointed sticks that were used to drive oxen. You know, the teamster would use the goad to prod the back legs of the animal to have it move in the right direction. But, of course, if the ox kicked out then it would only drive itself onto the goad and, uh, and hurt itself even more. And so Paul uses this uh, expression, uh, adds, um, tells Agrippa about this uh, expression from Jesus because it speaks of the change in Paul's direction, that he is actually now acting in obedience to the higher authority of Jesus who is directing him in how he should go. This Jesus who is speaking to him in this heavenly vision. Another difference here is that Paul leaves the role of Ananias out of his account to Agrippa. 
in front of the Jewish crowd, Ananias uh, gives an example of how a devout Jew should respond. But that doesn't work with Agrippa because he's not a Jew and he's not devout in that way. And so instead, Paul puts the instructions he received into the mouth of Jesus directly. And he is told then to be a witness of what he has seen of Jesus. And also that Jesus will protect him as Paul is sent to his own people and to the Gentiles to turn them to God. And so Paul summarises his defence for everything else that had happened since that time in verse 19. As he says, So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. See, how can the Jews accuse him of being disobedient to their ways when what he is doing is following their, what they believe and the vision that he has received from heaven itself. In verse 20, he's gone on to tell both Jews and Gentiles about Jesus as he was told to. That's why the Jews seize him. But as Jesus promised, Jesus has continued to protect Paul so that here he is, in front of Agrippa, able to testify to small and great about Jesus. But what he says is nothing new and should not be a surprise to the Jews in verse 22. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. That is Paul's defence against the Jews which is what Festus and Agrippa were there to hear. But defending himself was never really the full extent of what Paul wanted to say. It might be what they wanted to hear, but it wasn't, what he, what, it wasn't just his agenda. No, Paul is ever the evangelist. Whatever situation he finds himself in, he is always ready to speak about the gospel. And this occasion is no exception. And so even while he's been defending himself, Paul has been steadily including the gospel message in what he's been saying. We've already seen how Paul introduces the resurrection early on. But as he speaks of his encounter with Jesus, Paul keeps including more and more of the gospel in what he says. And so uh, he uh, um, the, the fact that Jesus is the Lord who speaks from heaven is a big claim about who Jesus really is. That he is the ultimate authority who needs to be obeyed. Uh, interestingly, in his testimony in chapter 22, Paul holds off mentioning the Gentiles until well after he's told the crowd about how he also went to Jerusalem and had another vision of Jesus while he was there as he was praying. Now, do you reckon Paul might have known that mentioning the Gentiles would have sort of infuriated the crowd? Uh, if he did, then that's certainly what happened. But, but that's not the point of contention here. It's not the problem that Agrippa's going to have. And so, in fact... Saying early on that his task was to tell the Gentiles about Jesus 
makes Agrippa, who is a Gentile, part of the audience that is supposed to be hearing this message. And so Paul mentions it early on. And what was the message he was to tell the Gentiles? Well, Paul includes far more detail here than is necessary just for his defence. He includes the message of the gospel. He lays it out for, Paul, for Agrippa. And so in verse 18, Paul says how he is being sent to the Gentiles to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are being sanctified by faith in Jesus. How's that for a gospel summary? Or in verse 20, Paul doesn't just say that he told people about Jesus, but he told them that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. Or in verse 23, he doesn't just refer to the prophets and Moses, but spells out what they said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and, as the first to rise from the dead, would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. See, Paul is taking every opportunity he has to tell the gospel to everyone who hears these words. You need to turn from the darkness of living your own way and turn to the light that is found in God. You can have your sins forgiven. You can have the great reward of taking your place with all those who are made right with God by trusting in Jesus. Paul is calling on everyone who hears him here and now to repent and turn to God and to demonstrate that repentance by the changed way you live. He's proclaiming that Jesus is the fulfilment of God's promises, that Jesus had to suffer and then rise from the dead as the first of all who would rise and is now the one who brings us all into the light of life. Well, for poor Festus, who's still struggling to understand what's going on, uh, it's all a bit too much. And so in verse 24, at this point, Festus interrupt Paul's, interrupted Paul's defence. You are out of your mind, Paul. Your great learning is driving you insane. But Festus hasn't really been Paul's target in this speech. Agrippa is the one that Paul is addressing because Agrippa has enough background to be able to understand what Paul is saying in this very short opportunity. And Paul makes his appeal directly to Agrippa in verse 27. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. And Agrippa sees full well what Paul is doing. Do you think in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul is equally unapologetic. He replies, short time or long, I pray, that God, pray to God that not only you but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. Here is Paul's aim. 
Here is what Paul is about. To see everyone who listens to him come to Christ. And he adjusts his testimony to make it suit the occasion. And so how, what can we learn from this? Well, first of all, as we've looked at Paul's speech here today, is it something that rings true with you? Do you need to come to Christ? You might have been coming along to church for some time now, maybe years and years. Maybe this is your first visit. But you might be starting to see that there is sin in your life, that there are things that you do that don't really fit with how God wants you to live. You might be looking for that light. You'd really love to have that forgiveness that we keep talking about. But have you responded to God's call like Paul did? Have you turned to God? Have you accepted Jesus as your own personal risen Lord? If that's the step you're up to today, then I'd love to speak to you afterwards about it, after the service. Or Pete, or Marguerite, or June, who read the Bible for us. We'd love to take, love nothing more than to help you take those next steps in following Jesus. And if you are already following Jesus, then how are you going at giving witness to him? We heard a couple of weeks ago when we looked at chapter 22 how powerful our own story is about how we know Jesus and came to know him and what it means for us, how that is important to share with others. How are you going at it? Have you put it together, at least in your own mind, as to how you can share your story with somebody else? Are you practising using it? Paul's approach here, though, is, is a particularly helpful example of how to speak to people who are above us. You know, Maybe a teacher at school or, or, or um, your, uh, your boss at work. Maybe your parents. In fact, it's a good example, really, of how to approach anyone with the humility that involves not telling them what to do, like how to tell your adult children. Paul doesn't tell Agrippa, you know, Agrippa, you're a dreadful sinner and you need to repent or you'll go to hell. In fact, Paul doesn't say anything about Agrippa's position or his behaviour before God at all, though historians tell us that there was a lot that could have been said. No, Paul tells Agrippa what he, Paul, believes, what he understands, what he sees as important, the message that he has. But he does it in a way that can apply to anyone. Even when Paul does appeal to Agrippa to make a response, he does it respectfully and based on Agrippa's own understanding. Now, King Agrippa, do you believe in the prophets? I know you do. Last week, Mark suggested that we don't just tell people that we went to church on the weekend, but that we share with them what we learnt from the sermon. I heard how the missionary Paul wanted everyone to find forgiveness in Jesus. Now, that's a great way of sharing the gospel in this type of non-confrontational way that Paul uses. It doesn't demand a response, but it certainly puts the message out there and invites one. 
But we also see here the way that Paul adjusts his response depending on the situation. He intentionally avoids what's controversial. Instead, he starts with what other people know and understand and then just works out from there. Yes, there will come a point where the hard things will need to be said, but Paul leaves these as long as possible so that he, does, so that he can get as much of the gospel across first. Because once that point of difference is raised, people stop hearing the rest of the message. And so at the crowd, he leaves the Gentiles to the very last part. With Agrippa and Festus, the resurrection of Jesus comes quite close, it comes at the end. Our difficulty is that it's often the controversial topics that give us a chance to say something about being a Christian. And so we need to think really carefully about how we're going to approach these topics. See, if you're speaking to someone who agrees with same-sex relationships, then jumping straight in and saying, oh, that's a sin, is probably not going to be the most helpful way to start the conversation. Perhaps we could start by talking about sin generally and, and how we even struggle with sin. But how we do struggle with it, how we battle with it, because we want to please God who wants... Who, who wants us to, to have the best way of life and who loves us and gave his son for us. Would that get us further? I think so. Trying to tell a Muslim that Muhammad is a false prophet won't get you very far. But asking them what Muhammad says about Jesus and investigating that together, well, that could be an interesting conversation, couldn't it? Working out what to say in these types of situations takes thought and preparation, though. But if they're things that you know you'll come across, if you hear these issues being raised in the media and, and you know they're going to be talked around at lunchtime, then it pays to put some work in for the sake of the gospel. Often we're too eager, though, to just do the first part of what Paul had to do here in Acts 26. We're all too eager to simply defend our position. But in Paul we see that while he did defend himself, he did it in a way that achieved his much greater purpose. His aim was to share the gospel and to do it in a way that those who heard him could actually hear. May that be our aim as well. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the great gospel message, for the love that you have shown us, for the salvation you have won for us. And we thank you, Father, that this message is for all and that you long and desire for all to turn to you. Father, we pray that you would help us to be good ambassadors, good witnesses of Jesus. Help us to be thoughtful, to be prepared, to think through how we can raise the message of Christ with those around about us. Give us the right words to say. Give us the opportunities to say them. And Father, Go before us 
that you might change the hearts of others, that many might come to know and love Jesus as we do. For his sake we pray. Amen.